Reflections for Lent 2021. Tailgating Jesus in Mark's Gospel, Episode 2. We're on the road with Jesus in Lent. And last week we started to look at Jesus' journey with his disciples and the crowds. And we started in Caesarea Philippi, in the very north of Israel, where Jesus withdrew with his disciples. We thought last time of the significance of that place and and, and the puzzle, the enigma that Jesus posed to his disciples. Who do men say that I am? And, And it's Peter who comes straight out with it, with an amazing declaration. You are the Christ. In other words, you are the one that we've been expecting. And turning to his disciples, Jesus warned them to keep this secret. This was to be theirs and theirs alone. Not for the crowd, not for public consumption at this point, because it was dynamite, as we read in the second half of Mark's Gospel. This was the messianic secret. In verse 31 of Matthew chapter 8, Jesus then makes a startling prediction. We read, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. This is the first of three predictions in Mark's Gospel of what was going to happen to Jesus as he moved on that final journey to Jerusalem, to the shadow of the cross. And instead of speaking in code or in parables, Jesus spoke plainly. It is spelt out in everyday language. At this, Peter was shocked to the core. We read, And Peter took him, that is Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him. Peter had no category for a suffering messianic servant. All this kind of talk was foreign to his expectation of the Messiah. Like many of his Jewish contemporaries, Peter's notion of Messiah was probably as a warrior, a lion, not a sacrifice, not a lamb. And Peter's rebuke of Jesus was met by a sting In Jesus' response, we read, And Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We can feel the sharpness of this rebuke. You could cut the atmosphere with a knife. We're on a knife edge here. This is the place, the turning point, In the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, there's no going back, only going forward to death, to the cross of Christ in Jerusalem. The Lenten road leads only to the cross. There is no way of avoiding, evading or escaping it. I wonder, are we with Peter? Or are we with Jesus? On the road to the cross. Prediction. In verse 34 we read. In calling the crowd to him with his disciples. Jesus speaks of 
profit and loss in this final section of chapter 8. If discipleship meant identifying with Jesus, then it follows that disciples will share the same fate as he had just outlined for them in the staggering verses of verse 31. The stakes were very high indeed. The desire to follow Jesus is spelled out bluntly. In terms of denying oneself, taking up the cross, and following after him. To deny oneself. Mark chooses the strongest form of the verb in the Greek that he wrote this gospel in. In other words, to deny utterly, to renounce, to abjure. This is not asceticism. This is not a denial of certain pleasures during Lent, for example. No, it is the opposite of putting value on oneself, claiming rights and privileges, and we're very good at that. It's saying, I am nothing. It's an act of the will which is radically different to the the L'Oreal principle, because I am worth it, which is so prevalent today. Take up the cross is a spine-chilling image to men and women of the first century Roman Empire on the way to a place of execution, on your way to an excruciating death. This image doesn't resonate with 21st century people like us. So how can we translate the metaphor of cross-bearing? It's being prepared to die to self. The squalid little ego of me. It's preparing to let things die. To be done to renounce drives, habits, relationships. To die in order to be raised a new life. To follow Jesus not is not easy compliance, but is an irrevocable decision, a verb of choice to resolve to keep on following after Jesus. It's almost as if Jesus is saying in these verses, don't start if you don't mean to go on. Don't play at being a Christian. Don't play church. Better not to come than to think, well, I can always opt out. History is full of people who set out for a destiny, never to reach it. Jesus is saying, I want disciples, people who are determined to continue, not people looking for the door marked exit. And what Jesus is demanding is budgeting everything for him. And that's taken up. In the following verses, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does the profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Three human values are turned upside down. In this demand of Jesus expressed in these verses, verses 35 to 37. One, 
The search for self-fulfillment has a self-destruct button built in. It can never be found outside of Jesus. Instead, Jesus says, if you want to have life, and not just mere existence, give it to me. Give it to God's service and in the service of others in my name. And surprise, surprise, you'll find it. But grab it, clutch this life to yourself, and you will ultimately lose it. Two, the desire to gain the world or everything that this world offers is a pipe dream, is an illusion. And at the end, if we pursue this, we will lose everything. We will forfeit everything, even our own lives. So what do we value most? What is worth saving at all costs? Well, life, of course. And three, time does not dominate life. Eternity is the measuring standard. When life's ledger is totted up, all earthly gains fall into insignificance. Only what is done with Jesus and for Jesus lasts. Mark's gospel is replete with this eternal dimension. Jesus is the saviour who saves us from eternal loss from hell to the glory of his Father in heaven. Where has eternity gone? In our thinking, in our lives, in the church. It has largely vanished. The seriousness of all this is indicated in the coming of the Son of Man. We read, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed. He comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. All history is moving to the return of the Son of Man, Jesus himself, who will be revealed as the judge, our judge, in the final assize prophet and loss.